Hello, and welcome to Lines from Loganberry, from Loganberry Books. We are a local independent bookshop located in the historic Larchmere neighborhood of beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. With this podcast, we hope to stay connected to you as we weather the coronavirus storm together. Each week, we will help you discover new books, rave about our latest favorite reads, and check in with our friendly bookstore cat Otis to learn more about what's going on in our humble shop. For more information about Loganberry Books, visit our website at loganberrybooks.com or check our social media at Loganberry Books on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On today's episode, bookseller Miranda Richmond hosts author Barbara J. Essex to discuss her book, Bad Girls of the Bible. In the book, Essex reflects upon women traditionally described in the Bible in a negative sense, uncovering a relatable humanity and new lessons to take away from their stories. All of this and more on Lines from Loganberry. Barbara J. Essex is an ordained United Church of Christ minister. She earned her Master's of Divinity at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary and MA from Northwestern University. She is a best-selling author of the Pilgrim Press with books including Bad Boys of the New Testament, Bad Boys of the Bible, Bible for Vital Congregations, Bold and Brazen, Crazy Kinfolk, Misbehaving Monarchs, and More Bad Girls with Bible and Girlfriends. Barbara J. Essex, welcome to Loganberry. Thank you. I want to read a short passage from Bad Girls of the Bible. Before we came on live, I was watching Jezebel on Turner Classic Movies, uh, which stars Betty Davis. And Betty Davis is described as a spoiled, strong-willed woman who scandalizes her hometown. Also, shortly after Vice President Kamala Harris took office, a group of Southern Baptist ministers called her a Jezebel. One minister posted on Twitter, uh, if anything happens to him, meaning Biden, Jezebel's going to take over. And I wanted to read from my chapter, Jezebel, because she's been misunderstood. She's been mischaracterized and she's been stereotyped. When we think of a Jezebel, we usually think of a woman who is uh, sexual, she's crafty, she's conniving, she's scheming, uh, and all of those negative stereotypes. But when we look at her story in the context in which it was written, we get a different view of her. So I just want to read a little bit of her. Uh, Jezebel is one of those foreign women who get denigrated in the Bible. The Bible seems to have a a negative view of foreign women, and many Israelite men are told not to not only have anything to do with these foreign women, but definitely not to marry them. And Jezebel was married to King Ahab, who was one of the kings of Israel. His reign is termed negatively right from the very beginning because he married Jezebel, who was a foreign woman. So let's see what actually happened. Among all the dangerous foreign women, Jezebel stands alone as the one most able to undermine Israel's faith. It is possible that everyday people liked her. She was regal, articulate, smart, sensitive and generous. She was, after all, a princess before she became queen of Israel. Her father and grandfather were kings. 
it's likely that she grew up in the palace watching her mother and her grandmother live out the duties of queen and queen mother. She was used to the finer things in life, the best foods and wines, the best clothing, the best furnishings. She was used to the best teachers and tutors. No doubt she was privy to conversations around the dinner table where her daddy and his friends talked military and commercial strategies. She listened attentively as her dad set forth his policies and reforms. She watched her mom use her own power and authority with grace and poise. She watched her parents negotiate the terms of their marriage. I imagine she celebrated with her people at the festivals that celebrated Baal's blessings, their God, or entreated Baal's kindness. She sat with her mama and grandmama during the services at the Baal temple. She danced with her girlfriends at the shrine of Asherah. She helped the servants prepare the feast her parents sponsored for the prophets of Baal. When Jezebel married Ahab, she did not suddenly get a case of terminal amnesia. Instead, she brought her history and her life with her to Israel. Her background prepared her to be a Canaanite queen. Jezebel was dangerous because she was somebody before she arrived in Israel. She was a woman of means and compared well with Elijah, her nemesis. She was condemned on religious and ethical grounds, but she acted out of political motivations. The tradition and patriarchy had no choice but to paint her in a dark light and to erase all traces of her. She became the embodiment of Israel's disobedience and the following of Baal. Jezebel was not afraid of Elijah and he knew it. Because of her worship of Baal, the dreaded threat to Israel's well-being and connection to God, Jezebel had to die a horrible death. The description of her demise is the most graphic in the Bible and is not for the faint-hearted. She was flung from a window. She was smashed to the ground. She was trampled by horses. Her blood was spattered and she was eaten by dogs, leaving only her palms. She served patriarchy and the biblical tradition well, but Jezebel deserves another look. She was not a harlot or seductress. She was not involved in any sexual scenes. She was a woman from another culture and worldview trying to adjust in a new and strange land. She was not a villain to be eternally despised. She was religiously committed, politically savvy, determined, self-assured, bodacious, and clever. She was dedicated to her family and a zealous missionary for Baal. And when she died, she died as she lived royally. Thank you. What inspired you to write about these women? Well, I entered 
the ministry over almost 40 years ago, and there were not a lot of women uh, who were preaching at that time. And when I was invited to preach, it was usually on a women's day, which meant that I needed to find uh, someone, some woman in the Bible who had some positive characteristics so that we could have a powerful and uplifting positive message. And after a few months, I found myself recycling the same stories of Hannah and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And after a while, I I got bored preaching these same women, and I realized that there were a whole group of women uh, in the Bible, but they were painted in negative lights. And I went on a journey to determine what would these women say about themselves if they could tell their own story. And that set me on this journey to explore their stories and read about them and study about them and take away some of the negative value judgments that had been placed upon them by men, but maybe there were some things about them that we could learn from, some positive characteristics. And so that was the thing that set me on my journey, just trying to hear what these women who don't get preached about a lot, and when they do, it's so negative that you really don't want to learn anything from them. So that was what started me on my journey. How are you similar to the women you have written about? I started doing uh, workshops on these women because I wasn't sure how uh, some of these more infamous women would be taken uh, in the church. And so I started doing workshops on them. And, it, and as I said, I had a whole, there was just a whole bunch of women starting with Eve and Jezebel and Delilah and, and, you know, those women that when you hear their names, you automatically go to a negative place. And I just try to let them speak for themselves, given what we know about them. And they have some powerful stories to tell. And when we look at their stories, we realize that for many of them, they are just like us. They deal with betrayals and they deal with being misunderstood and they deal with uh, being suppressed and they deal with being silenced. And so if these women could speak for themselves, what would they say? And having grown up as a person who was just always concerned with whether things were fair, um, I wanted to try to give them a fair opportunity to share with all of us who they are, what they stand for, the kinds of situations that they found themselves in, some of their own making, some of them imposed upon them and how they uh, dealt with those those situations. Can we learn both positive lessons and then can we learn from the things that did not go so well for them? How did you come up with the reflection questions? Well, I'm a teacher at heart. My first career was a high school teacher. I taught English and I was always looking for ways to make Shakespeare interesting uh, and John Donne uh, and so forth. And so when we look at these stories of, of the women in the Bible, very often we, we take what we've heard about them, but we don't really think about who they are. And so I wanted to try to connect biblical women with ourselves. So some of the reflection questions have to deal with, you know, if we take away some of the value judgments, what's left, but also how can we see ourselves reflected in them and vice versa. So it's really uh, the reflection questions ask us to look within ourselves, 
even as we look at these women? And then what do we learn? Are there things that we need to change? Are there things that we need to take on? Are there things that we need to be about? So there's a, there's a woman in the Bible named Ritzpah. Her sons are killed by King David. And rather than allow the family to have a proper burial for them, he has their bones hung on crosses uh, by the side of the road so that anybody passing by can see them and recognize that this is the king's doing and they better be careful. And Ritzpah, as a woman, uh, really didn't have a lot of power. She couldn't uh, go to the king and, and say what you're doing is wrong. So what she did was she sat by those bodies as they hung on a cross. She didn't say a word, but she stayed at those at, at the bodies and she, you know, kept the birds from eating their flesh and kept the wild animals. She didn't say a word, but she established a silent vigil. And the king Day after day, people were saying, Ritzpah is still there. You know, you need to do something about her. And he re recognized that he was wrong. And so he then had their, their bodies removed and sent to their families so they could be uh, properly buried. She never says a word. She doesn't say anything, but her witness is powerful enough to make the king act. And so if she could do that, what kind of, what kind of ways can we use our own power um, to make things right? And so I, I want, wanted us to think about these women, not just as figures in a Bible, but as human beings who exercise power uh, and show us ways that we can be engaged um, given whatever resources we have at our disposal. Absolutely. This leads very well into my next question. Many of these women exercise as much freedom and autonomy as possible in the, their patriarchal constraints. What can we learn from them? Well, many of these women are called tricksters. Um, it's, a, it's a term that's used not to, to make them clowns or buffoons, but as people who have the capacity and have the wherewithal to change the course of action. And so we find these women using whatever resources they have to get what they need and what they want. And that's what we learn from them, how to use your power in overt ways, as well as subversive ways. So we find, for instance, the midwives, uh, Shifra and Pua in the story of, of Moses. And the, the king of Egypt had sent out a law that all babies under two years old were to be killed. And the order was also sent to the midwives that when the Hebrew women have their babies, kill all the male babies. And these two women, their job was to bring life into the world. It wasn't to take life away. And so when the king realized that they were letting the male babies live, um, they told the king a story that the Hebrew women deliver so quickly that by the time they get there, the babies are already born and they, you know, hitting them away uh, and so forth. Now, the king never does any kind of investigation. He takes their word for it and the babies live. And that's how Moses was able to survive um, that attempted uh, slaughter. And so we find women who um, use their power in ways that the patriarchy paints them as if they're underhanded and they're conniving. But when you look at it, that was pretty clever. 
uh, for these women to defy the king of Egypt who had you know, all of this power and had the power of life and death over them. And yet they had the nerve, the gumption um, to do what they knew was the right thing to do. And so we find woman after woman, we talk about a character like Delilah. Uh, Delilah is accused of making Samson um, defy his call uh, by God to save his people. And we find that Samson uh, is a willing partner with her. You know, she asks him point blank questions. He answers her questions uh, and so forth. And he digs himself deeper into a hole that he has created, yet she gets blamed for it. And so we find these women just doing what they do. And um, they get judged for that in ways that are not very flattering. And yet the men are let off the hook because uh, if it had not been for this woman, then this man would have uh, done what God wanted him to do when his whole life, it was all about him and what he wanted uh, and so forth. And so we find uh, from these women's stories, ways that we can engage whatever situation we're in. Uh, so for instance, in the South, the women who made quilts, people thought, oh, they're just making quilts because they need cover. Uh, and yet these quilts, when, when they were hung in certain ways, they pointed to the Underground Railroad. And so there are these um, messages that are hidden in this. They didn't have a lot of power, didn't have a lot of voice, couldn't do a lot of things, but they certainly could use their power and their resources to help the cause. And, and that's what we find throughout history. So there's nothing new under the sun. Women still have uh, the, the power to affect change. And it's just a matter of how we're going to do that um, so that it makes a difference. How did your perceptions of God, the men and women you wrote about, and the Bible evolve over the course of writing this book? Well, I've always had um, a real love for stories. You can capture me with a good story. I come from a family of storytellers. So I'm always curious about who wrote this story? Why did they write this story? Why did they write this story in the way that they did? And I too have been guilty of just making conclusions about uh, some of these women and some of the men in the Bible without really studying them, without really thinking about the context in which they lived, um, with you know the historical context and so forth. And so I have a deeper appreciation for story. And one of the things that has evolved for me is the patience to listen to people when they tell their story. And people have a right to tell their story the way they want to. And uh, again, trying to take away some of the value judgments and some of the stereotypes that you know, we've grown up with, especially those of us who are in the church and just try to hear uh, what's what's really being said. And when we do that, we find that there are these messages that are empowering, these messages that call us to exercise our power, and uh, these, these stories that help us to live life much fuller than maybe we would want to because we're concerned about what people are going to think and what people are going to say uh, instead of standing uh, in our own truth and being able to hear some of these biblical characters stand in their truth and tell their story. The overwhelming message for me through it all is that God wants us to live 
meaningful lives. And that means we have to sacrifice. That means we have to stand with others and for others, that we have to speak up and that we have to stand up. Um, and God is with us in those endeavors and in those efforts. We're not alone uh, ever, uh, regardless of what our situations may be. It's Women's History Month. How in studying these women do we empower women today and for the future? One of the things that I love about Women's History Month is that we uncover some of the stories that are lost, uh, some of the stories that don't get attention. Uh, we hear names of, of women who've done things that don't get the headlines. And, and that's how I feel about these biblical women, except for a few. Uh, many of the women are not named. Uh, we don't know very much about their history. We don't know very much about their families. A lot of women will show up in a man's story and then she disappears. We never hear from her again. Uh, Lot's wife, for instance, there's only one line about her in the Bible. And it's simply Lot's wife looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. Okay, well, we might think, well, you know, how horrible, you know, that this would happen to her, except that we realized that salt was one of the most important commodities during that time and in that region, uh, that to have salt meant the difference between life and death. People used salt as currency. Uh, instead of dollars and cents, they had, they could trade salt and so forth. And so when we think about what a precious mineral that salt is, it gives us a different way of looking at the world and um, at particular situations. And that's what happens during Women's History Month. We unearth these stories, we learn about these women, we give them their, their kudos uh, and so forth. And the more we learn about other women and how they navigate their lives, it gives us more resources to draw upon so that we can live strong, powerful lives. And so for me, they go hand in hand. Um, the more we know, the better we are, no matter what your uh, gender or gender identification is, the more we know, the better we are. And this is an opportunity to hear about these women who are not so very different from ourselves and find themselves in situations so similar to our own that it's an that it's just fun and it and it gives us a sense of identity and purpose and meaning in our lives. Both and rather than either or. Awesome. Thank you. So I'll open up to questions from everybody watching. So our first question is, which of the bad girls did you find most compelling and do you have a favorite? Well, my favorite is Jezebel. Uh, as you could probably tell, I just, I just love me some Jezebel because she's a powerful woman and uh, is misunderstood. The most compelling uh, woman for me was Bathsheba. We all know the story of Bathsheba and David. David, he didn't even seduce her. He um, called her to his chambers and had his way with her. And he thought as the king that that was okay for him to do until she got pregnant. And then everything changed and it sent him on a path that uh, undermined some of the really wonderful things that he had done as king of Israel. The one thing that I had not known or had forgotten about Bathsheba is that she had a life after her tryst with David. As David was getting old, um, there was questions about who would 
assume the throne um, after his death. And I was intrigued by the fact that Bathsheba uh, was willing to collude with the prophet Nathan to make sure that her son Solomon uh, became king after David died. And um, I, she did some interesting things and it would be easy to say, oh, you know, she just went off the deep end, but she had a lot of hurt and a lot of pain. David killed her husband. Um, the, the child that she was pregnant with, the first child she was pregnant with, with David died. Um, and David went on to have other women and concubines and so forth. And so she had a lot of pain, a lot of hurt in her marriage and in her life. You know, in some ways, maybe we can't blame her too much for wanting to ensure that her son uh, became king. But when he became king, she uh, encouraged him to get rid of his half brothers so that they would not um, get into a fight with him about the throne. And so um, she has a little bit of blood on her hands as well. And I just found that compelling um, because, you know, we think of women as, you know, this is the way it is. There's nothing you can do. Just suck it up and don't try to get revenge. But in a lot of ways, she did get revenge and she was willing to um, really put herself out there to do that. And so I found her really interesting and compelling. And uh, I would like to continue studying her um, because she turned out not to be what I thought she was. And that's what, what really piqued my interest about her. So our next question, when I reflect on the impact of the Bible's women on their world in their day, it leaves, it leaves me firm in my convictions that it will be through the capacity of today's bad girls that we will recognize the change necessary to heal today's world. What do you think about that? I agree. Um, a lot of the women who have fought for human rights and civil rights, they get a bad name. We think of them as being you know, not following the rules. They should stay in their places. They should do what men tell them to do. And yet, you know, I, I really think that it's gonna be up to women to break through those, those patterns, break through those stereotypes, bring some empathy, bring some compassion, uh, bring a bigger worldview to politics and, you know, the way things are today. And it takes, you have to be strong to do that. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of wherewithal. Uh, I think about somebody like Stacey Abrams in Georgia, who um, ran for governor, and she was, you know, cheated <laughs> out of her position uh, as governor of Georgia. And she could have just, you know, going back and taught at a university or you know whatever she was doing before then but she recognized the situation that kept her out of office and so her work then became you know how do we empower populations of people to get out and vote knowing that their vote could make a difference um, and so we find women like that throughout history for the right to vote for, uh, I mean, we're still fighting that battle for equal pay and, and all of that, but it just, it just takes a lot of courage. And uh, for women, you know, we don't have a lot to lose and we have a lot to gain. So let's get out there and, 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 and do what we can to make the world a better place. And I do think that uh, women and men who understand the situation uh, will make the difference. 
Absolutely. Can you share something about Ruth with us? Ruth and Naomi, part of the Hebrew Bible tradition, uh, one of the few women who gets a whole book uh, devoted to her and this relationship she has with her mother-in-law. You know, the men in their lives are, are, are gone. They, they've all died and they have to figure out how to make it in the world. And so they rely on each other to uh, do what they can to survive. Uh, and in that survival and, and through their faith, they're able to, well, doors are open for them where they can, can do what they can, uh, not only to survive, but to thrive. And so there's a, the sense of faith and perseverance and solidarity with one another because those two women had no reason to stay together. And yet there was such a bond between them that they did not want to leave one another. And, and they worked together um, again to, to figure out how they could move into the future uh, and have a future and not perish because widows had a hard time, especially if they were not able to go back to their father's house. Uh, and so to see these two women making their way in the world, not quite Thelma and Louise, but um, real close to it, and except they survive uh, in the end. But I, I like the notion of them being uh, connected to one another in such a way that if one was going to die, then the other one was willing to die with her and not leave either one uh, alone in the world, but, but to do things together. Are there any churches named after any of these bad women? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to it. And it probably depends on what your faith tradition is. So in the Roman Catholic Church, they have saints and there are women saints. In the Protestant Church, we don't designate women uh, in that way. But that's something I would have to research. I don't know the answer off the top of my head. But, but, you know, I often wonder when people are, when people name their children, we, we hear names like Hannah, uh, who had an extraordinary prayer life. Uh, we hear names like Mary, um, the mother of Jesus. Uh, but we don't hear Jezebel. We don't hear, um, there's a new TV series called Delilah. Um, but prior to that, I only know of one woman named Delilah. Um, so it's not one of those popular names. And so I just wonder if those names are not more popular because of the way that we perceive them, um, as opposed to the more positive views we have of Ruth and Naomi and Deborah and Mary and, uh, and so forth. Okay, so to wrap up, I'm going to ask you a few questions. These are just going to be rapid fire off the top of your head. First thing that comes to your mind. Ready? I think so. <laughs> What was your favorite book as a child? My favorite book as a child was The Good Earth. Uh, it was one of the one of the earliest novels that I read, um, and it and it conveyed to me that black people weren't the only people in the world who suffered. Really opened up um, a worldview for me that uh, I did not know existed. And to read the story about how these women, uh, how these people suffered, uh, just trying to survive, um, just reminded me of the struggles of Black people. It's still one of my favorite novels. So I see your library behind you. How do you organize your library? Well, um, my library has been kind of haphazard. I've been in ministry for almost 40 years. And so a lot of those books were 
books related to ministry. But during the pandemic and during the last presidential administration, it was really um, very distressing for me. And I made a decision that I needed to be surrounded more by my Afrocentric books. And so I took everything down and I pulled together all of my black related books, um, my novels, uh, Toni Morrison and um, you know, just everybody. And so the way that they're organized now is mostly my Afrocentric books, both those that are secular and religious. And because I'm still doing some teaching, I do have some of my religious books there. Um, but I have uh, discovered um, when I wrote Bad Girls of the Bible, that was over 20 years ago, and there were very few books uh, written on, on women, biblical women. And now they're just shelf after shelf. And so I've been buying uh, some of the some of the newer books on, on biblical women. And so you'll see some of those up there as well. Mostly these are my um, black books. I just needed to be surrounded by the cloud of witnesses of my people uh, to remind me that uh, whatever we're going through, it's not the end. We've been there before, we will get through this. And I just needed to be reminded that there are, you know, there's a picture of Malcolm X and uh, James Baldwin and, um, and as I said, these women writers and so forth. And so that's how they're organized right now. What's your favorite smell? My favorite smell? Lavender. There's what is Cleveland's just... best kept secret? Cleveland's best kept secret is its theater. When I moved to Cleveland, people were just, oh, why would you leave San Francisco to go to Cleveland? Uh, and I was asking myself the same question. And one of the big surprises for me was the, the high quality of theater and the number of community theaters that um, Cleveland has. Which artist dead or alive would you like to illustrate your book? Jacob Lawrence. Okay. Where would you like to live besides Cleveland or San Francisco? I would like to live somewhere in Africa. I went to Senegal and the Gambia, and I like both of those places. Awesome. What legacy would you like to leave? I would like to leave a legacy of inquiry. I want people to just continue to ask questions. Why, 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 why? Thank you for coming, and don't forget to buy the book. Loganberry Books is open to the public Tuesday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. You can order books from us at store.loganberrybooks.com. You can also order from us by calling the store directly at 216-795-9800 or by emailing books at logan.com with your specific requests. You can support us by purchasing through our affiliate pages on bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash Loganberry Books at loganberry.papertrail.com for digital ebooks or on libro.fm for all your audiobook needs. Join our listener support program where you can donate as little as 99 cents a month, less than $12 a year, to keep this podcast going. Go to our website at loganberrybooks.com. Check our social media at Loganberry Books and make sure to rate and subscribe to Lines from Loganberry and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.
This episode of Lines from Loganberry was produced and edited by Ted Hubish. As always, tune in next week for more bookish content from Loganberry Books. Thank you for listening.